Hey guys, welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny, the lead pastor. I pray that the message that you're about to hear is encouraging, uplifting, and honestly challenging as well. I want to invite you to join us in person Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street, or catch church online at 11 a.m. on our YouTube or Facebook page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I pray that you're blessed by today's message and that it helps draw you closer to Jesus. What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Uh, why, of course I am. <laughs> you're Santa. What song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Happy birthday, of course. <laughs> so, uh, how old are you, son? Four. You're a big boy. What's your name? Paul. And uh, what can I Paul, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? No, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're going to have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. <gasps> <gasps> he's a bastard! He's a fake! He's a fake! How old were you when you found out that Santa wasn't real? Did you, ever, did you even grow up in a home that claimed Santa snuck into your apartment while you were asleep and planted gifts under the tree? I remember as a young child receiving a visit from Santa, he actually knocked on our door. And I remember having a mix of emotions. First I was like, nah, I know Santa's fake. But then I also thought, wait a second, he's knocking on my door and walking into my house. And then I was a little confused because I'm pretty sure that this Santa kind of looked like and sounded like my grandfather. <laughs> Maybe you have a, a similar story. The scene that we just finished watching is hilarious. His buddy thinks he's about to see Santa, who he personally knows from growing up in the North Pole. So when he finds out that this Santa is a phony, he calls them out, on which causes them to get into a little bit of a rumble. But you see, Buddy knew the real Santa, so he was able to identify the imposter. The guy at the mall was just a guy in a Santa suit, but he was a fake, not the real guy. He was an imposter. And as I rewatched the scene, I couldn't help but think about all the imposters that are trying to rob us of the true meaning of the Christmas season. Did that thought ever cross your mind? As Christians, we take the time this time of year to celebrate the birth of Jesus, to commemorate the love of God towards us exploding onto the scene through the humble birth of Jesus, to remember that the baby Jesus would grow up to live a perfect and sinless life and pay the penalty for the sin of mankind and rise from the grave to give us new life. This truth is the absolute most important and life-changing thing anyone could know or experience. That's why we call it the gospel, which means 
good news. Yet each year, we're tempted and wooed by Christmas imposters, all of which are attempting to get our eyes off of the real thing. Think about it. How many of the advertisements on TV and YouTube during this time have to do with Jesus? How about the Christmas movies that are coming out this month? How many of them are about Jesus? What about the sales at the mall? Any Jesus-inspired specials? No, right? You see, the essence of Christmas has been hijacked by Christmas imposters. Some of these might even be good things. For example, family get-togethers and sharing gifts, having fun with friends. These are all great things, but when they take the place of God, they become what the Bible would describe as idols. In the same way Buddy was able to literally slip out the fake Santa, I want us to be able to identify these Christmas imposters. These idols that, if we're not careful, can sneak in to rob Christ out of Christmas. Today, I want to help us identify three potential idols that pose as Christmas imposters in an attempt to keep our eyes off the prize. And here's the first one. Number one, it's the idol of self. We are naturally bent towards selfishness. Nobody teaches a child how to be selfish. They're simply born knowing how to be selfish. And that's why you have to teach a kid how to share their toys or not to bite their brother when they don't get what they want. But the selfish part, they got that covered. And the same thing is true for us. And advertisers know this, so they even cater their brands with our selfishness in mind to get you to purchase their product or service. I can prove it to you. See if, if you recognize any of these brands and their slogans. And see if you can identify how they're marketed to put yourself at the center of the universe. Burger King, have it your way. Gatorade, is it in you? Sprite, obey your thirst. L'Oreal, because you're worth it. And how about this one? Twix, when they came out way back when, I remember the commercials they used to play on TV. It used to say, two for me, none for you. Are you guys able to see a pattern in these phrases? They all place you in the center and make you the most important person in the world. There was a similar sentiment around one person in particular that we see within the Christmas narrative in the scriptures. It was a leader who was super engulfed with self to the degree that he would do anything and do away with anyone who would potentially be a threat to his leadership and influence. His name was King Herod. Check out what the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 2 tells us about him. Look at what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Uh, Matthew writes that Herod was deeply disturbed. Why? Because he hears about a king who was born. And this king is attracting attention and beyond attention, the worship of other people, and he has his own star. For Herod, hearing about this birth of a king was a threat to his reign and kingdom. And to say that he was deeply disturbed is putting it mildly. In fact, if you continue reading from the book of Matthew, the wise men are warned not to return to Herod. And this causes him to go into a rage, and he orders that all the baby boys two years and under be murdered in his attempt to snuff out this potential threat to his throne. King Herod was obsessed with self. His world revolved around his kingdom, his reign, his power, his throne. He was not willing to even allow the potential threat of another come and remove him from his palace and position. Herod worshipped the idol of self. But the same continues today. We're obsessed with self. 
And we're taught and indoctrinated from a young age to position ourselves at the center of our own universe. And during this season, one of the Christmas impostures that we have to fight off is the idol of self. It plays out a bunch of different ways. Are they going to buy me the gifts that I want for Christmas? It better not be a cheap gift. They better cook my favorite dish at the Christmas party. Why are the lines so long at the stores? Why is there so much traffic? Why is everyone getting in my way and keeping me from doing what I have to do? But you see, Herod got it twisted. And many times we do too. Christmas isn't about you. It isn't about me. It isn't about self. It's about one person. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, who would be born to take away the sins of the world. The wise men received this revelation and they pursued the star which led them to Jesus. And what was their response? Their response was what all our responses should be. It had nothing to do with them, with their wisdom, their accolades, their long journey to find Jesus. It had to do with that baby. And here's what they do in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Their response was humility and surrender. They dropped to their knees and they worshipped Jesus. Because while Herod was sitting on a throne overlooking Jerusalem, Jesus came from a heavenly throne overlooking the universe. And while Herod would murder whoever got in his way to assure his kingdom, Jesus would lay down his life to assure that we'd be a part of his kingdom. And one of the Christmas imposters standing in our way is the idol of self. Let's fight against this Christmas imposture by, first of all, making Christ first in everything that we do, and secondly, by being humble like Jesus, putting others' needs before our own. The next Christmas imposture that we have to be aware of is this, number two in your notes, the idol of religion. I love the fact that Christmas time tends to strike up the spiritual curiosity in people. Uh, the season many times serves as a reminder to people that God entered human history to fulfill his mission of seeking and saving his creation. But here's the thing. Christmas is only one day. And while I'm glad that we can make a big deal about this, there's a whole 364 days where the reality that King Jesus reigns remains true. The Bible talks about two types of religion. Right? One, the book of James calls pure and genuine religion, which is one that actually demonstrates the fruit of experiencing a life-changing encounter with Jesus. But the Bible also identifies a false religion, a religion that looks good on the outside, but inside is rotten and nasty. And this is the type of, of religion that Jesus would call out of the religious Pharisees all the time. It's a religion that is a facade. Unfortunately, this is a reality for many people in our culture. It's proven in the fact that if you approach a random person and you ask them about their religion, Many people will respond by saying that they identify as a Christian. I want to show you guys some recent insight. This is the most recent data collected on our specific neighborhood. Uh, this isn't all of New York City. This is what people believe right within Bushwick. And according to these stats, 51% of people in our community believe that God is love and invites the world into a loving relationship. Nearly 50% of people say that they have a relationship with one living God. This is fascinating to me because 50% is a significant number of people. 50% of a community claiming that there is a God and that they have a relationship with Him. But wouldn't you think a culture that is so shaped by their belief in God would change the way that culture functions? But yet I don't think I need to convince you that what you see and experience on our streets tends to say otherwise. 
And what this means is that people give lip service to God, but their lives reflect a different reality. It boils down to a religious attitude, believing in God, but living as if He doesn't exist. This idol of religion many times is highlighted during this time of year. Uh, Christmas is here, so I better get to Mass. I, I better get, find a church to attend. Yet the gathering with other saints and mutual study and encouragement of one another through God's Word and community isn't a priority the rest of the year. Oh, oh, let's gather around the tree. Let's open the Bible to read the Christmas story. Yet the Bible and the reading of God's Word isn't a priority and isn't cracked open not once throughout the rest of the year. This is what you call the idol of religion. And it's a Christmas imposture. Because what the birth of Jesus demands is not one day a year, but your entire life. There, there was an old man within the Christmas narrative that you perhaps, maybe you never even heard of, or you skimmed right over it. His name is Simeon. Uh, the Bible says he lived his life in devotion to God and was patiently awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. So when Mary and Joseph went to the temple to fulfill the Jewish customs with baby Jesus, I want you to check out and read what Simeon does. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Simeon acknowledged Jesus for who he is. He says, My eyes have seen salvation. Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. He was a light of revelation to all people, both Jew and Gentile. And what this means is that if this is true, Jesus is God's divine provision for the redemption of mankind. Doesn't that require more of us? Doesn't that require that we live in a way that actually honors this reality? Shouldn't it mean that what we proclaim with our lips match up with the way we live our lives? Shouldn't this reality bleed out into all of society as we live as salt and light being bearers of good news? Shouldn't this spread like wildfire and begin to impact our neighbors and cause new life to spring up as others also put their faith in the finished work of Jesus? The idol of religion is a Christmas imposture. Might you have been fooled into being religious but not having a genuine pursuit after Jesus? I pray that we might be a church full of people that don't give God lip service once a year, but that we might live ignited by the gospel year-round, being a gospel of light to our community. Finally, the last Christmas imposter that we're going to identify today, number three in your notes is this, the idol of materialism. I bet you this one is the easiest one to identify this time of year, but it doesn't make it any easier to fight against. It seems like Halloween hasn't even passed yet and the stores begin to put out all the Christmas decorations, display toys, trinkets, and technology, deck the halls, all with the hope of one thing, that you will spend all of your money. Thanksgiving hits and then you've got Black Friday, Cyber Monday, don't forget about Giving Tuesday. The big idea is that you have to spend more money, buy more stuff, accumulate more things. People literally go into debt this time of year as they have been bamboozled into buying into all this commercialization of the holiday. The reason being, you've got some high-end stuff on your Christmas list, and, and so to get what you want, you have to give big too. And so it takes a great and beautiful thing like giving and receiving gifts, and it turns it into the idol of materialism. So now you have to shove people out of your way at the mall and cuss the person out who took the parking spot that you were backing into, and you pull your hair out, 
stressed out of your mind, working overtime at the job so that you can have extra money, so that you can buy more stuff. The irony is that the original Christmas story portrays the exact opposite of this. Now, I love the detail that the gospel written by Luke states. He mentions some unlikely people who received this good news. Check out chapter 2 of the book of Luke. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Shepherds in Jesus' day were a bit like outcasts in society in a sense. Their job was dirty, and they kept them busy all day caring for sheep, leading them to find green pasture. What's particularly interesting is that some scholars believe that because of where these shepherds were positioned, that it is highly likely that they were tending to sheep that would be utilized as a part of the sacrificial system that was in place at the time. And here, the shepherds are announced. Good news of great joy for all people including these guys that were outside of the city caring for the sheep. Consider Mary, who would birth the Son of God. She was an impoverished teenager. Joseph was a blue-collar carpenter trying to make ends meet. And to top it all off, at the climax of the narrative, the shepherds arrived to see a baby wrapped tightly in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. None of this screams luxury. None of this screams riches. None of this denotes materialism. Instead, it all shouts humility. It demonstrates God's humble heart for the lowly and those who admit the impoverished nature of their soul. How far is this from the Christmas that we see today? Could it be any more opposite? How more crystal clear could this message be? And here's the thing, guys. There's nothing wrong with buying gifts. There's nothing wrong with receiving gifts. But when it comes at the cost of your own soul, then there's a problem. When it takes the place of God, then it becomes a problem. When we become ruled by money and governed by greed, it becomes materialism, it becomes an idol. The answer, though, is twofold. If you want to fight the Christmas imposter of materialism and fight back against the consumerism and commercialization of Christmas, you can respond in these two ways. First, respond with gratitude. Learn to praise God for all that you have now and don't be consumed by what you don't have or what you want. Learn to be content with what you have, whether it's a little or it's a lot. Trust that what you have, God's given it to you. So learn to be a steward of it to the best of your ability. And secondly, respond with humility. At the root of materialism is pride. Combat it with humility. Live your life in a way that doesn't put you at the center. And in this way, you'll be able to fight against the Christmas imposter of materialism. And in doing so, you'll be able to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who did this in Philippians chapter 2 who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Paul describes Jesus as emptying of himself and taking on the likeness of humanity. What is he describing there? He's describing the Christmas narrative, God entering His creation through the birth of Jesus. When you look at the nativity scene, 
Look at the absolute overflowing of humility spewing all over that manger. The whole purpose of the birth of Jesus was for him to uphold God's law perfectly and then ultimately to be put on an unfair trial with his sentence being the death penalty by crucifixion. When you see Jesus carrying the cross of Calvary, when you see nails being, being driven through his hands and feet, when you see a crown of thorns impaled into his scalp, when you see blood dripping down his face and to the floor, I want you to see humility, the humility of Jesus exploding all over that cross. When you consider this humility, realize that the reason Jesus exercised such humility was out of an immense love for you and for me. Because me and you, we were in a hopeless and helpless state. Our sin eternally separated us from God and we were destined for destruction. But God intervened. And His intervention came by way of His immense love for you and me through an act of humble sacrifice. And this is what Christmas is all about. God putting on human flesh in and through Jesus. He lived the life that we were incapable of living, perfectly upholding the law so that He could be the sacrificial Lamb of God for our sin. And upon that cross, He bore the weight of our sin. Every stripe, every lashing, every nail meant for you and for me until life exited His body and He died. The world grew dark, the crowds became silent, and the enemy thought that he had won. They placed Jesus' body in a tomb. The disciples and Mary mourned his death, thinking they would never see him again. That is until the third day. Because Jesus is God, and death has no grip on him, the, tomb, the tombstone rolled away, and the Lamb of God, the Redeemer of mankind, the humble servant king, walked out of that grave. So now all who believe in him will have the forgiveness of sin and new life. Today in our service, we witness people go from death to life. They publicly declare through the act of baptism that they put their faith in Jesus. And because of Jesus, they are forgiven. They are made new. This is everyone's reality for those who have put their faith in Jesus. And if you're here today and you've yet to put your faith in Jesus, you have an opportunity to do so right now. Simply call on the name, the only name that is able to save Call on the name of Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus and you can be confident to experience salvation today. As we wrap up our time, remember guys, there are Christmas impostors attempting to rob you of your joy this Christmas, trying to get your eyes off of Christ. Let's reject these false idols and stay connected and celebrate the love of God demonstrated through Christ. Lord, we pray that you would protect us from making everything about self. Help us to mimic the humility of Christ and to apply that humility to how we treat and how we serve others. We pray that you would protect us from the idol of religion, where our words do not line up with our actions, where we give lip service, but our hearts are far from you. Instead, God, might we be drawn close by your Holy Spirit and that you would align our hearts and our lives with your truth. As we participate, God, in gift giving and gift receiving, let it be from a place of generosity and gratitude and not from a place of selfishness and greed. We beg you, Father, to forgive us in any way and every which way we've twisted this season to be about anything other than you. May you get the glory and honor in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message. I want to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. 
and come on over, join us, come to the Sword Pub, let's worship together, let's get together, let's worship God together, let's learn and grow together, let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday?